Hey everybody, I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. As always, it's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm super glad that you're here with us today. As you all know, this podcast is all about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. Now, two things before we get into today's episode. First, if you aren't already a subscriber, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice so that you're always in the know about new episodes that drop. And second, if you find this podcast to be a value, please share it with someone else too. That would mean so much to me. So today, I've got a great guest here with us, someone who I just saw a couple of weeks ago. We'll talk about what we were doing in just a few minutes, but inside the huddle with us today and here to share his perspectives his insights, his experiences, and his lessons, and to help us move the ball, is Joe Morelli. Joe is an innovative leader who is currently the CEO of ZoomBang. Throughout Joe's career, he has worked for some incredible companies and premium brands such as Nike and DuPont, and his expertise has been in helping to take companies, products, and brands to the next level. And we'll talk about that more on the show as well. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, Jen. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so excited to have you with us today. As I mentioned, I just saw you a couple of weeks ago when we were both down in Dallas for the Women's National Football Conference Championship Weekend, the WNFC, the Nine Cup Weekend. And I know we've talked a bunch since then. We wanted to do this podcast. I wanted to talk about the partnership that ZoomBang has with the WNFC. And also you and I, as you know, have some similarities in our careers, starting off both in engineering, getting MBAs, having large corporate experience. So we'll talk about that more. And then also we're both in the world of sports now. So it's interesting how life kind of takes you in different directions. But where I wanted to kick off our conversation is let's talk about the WNFC. And before we get deep into our chat, I do want to just take a moment to mention something that I'm saddened to learn this morning. I learned of the passing of coach Billy Hughes Jr., who was an integral part of the Texas Elite Spartans organization. They had just won the WNFC championship, as you know, Joe. And I was just looking at pictures of Billy on Facebook, and he just always had this infectious smile on his face. You could tell he was just such an upbeat person. And as I was scrolling through the messages that people were leaving on his Facebook page, I mean, you could just tell that he made an incredible impact on the people that he touched. So I just want to take a quick minute to honor him and to recognize Billy. And he is definitely someone that truly did move the ball on the field beyond the game. And I know he will be missed by so many. So I appreciate everyone letting me take a few minutes of the show to talk about that because that was important for me to just share with all of you. So Joe, let's talk about the Women's National Football Conference and ZoomBang. I mentioned that there's a partnership there. We're going to talk about that more. But before we talk about why ZoomBang got involved with the WNFC, tell us for just a minute, what is ZoomBang? What are the products that you provide? Well, Jen, first of all, can I pass along my condolences to the entire WNFC and especially the Texas team on Billy's passing? Very sad to hear that. So what is ZoomBang? Well, we are simply stated, 
we're a protective polymer padding that helps save lives and prevents injuries from happening. And when you look at all the products that are on the marketplace to do similar things, we've been third-party tested and proven that we're 40% better than anything else that's out there in transferring energy to the body. And that's what we're talking about. When a player gets hit, obviously they're wearing shoulder pads, they're wearing their outer protective gear, but this is another layer of gear that goes next to the body to protect places that maybe the outside padding isn't protecting, whether that's the hips, the tailbone, even the thighs, et cetera, et cetera. So we make the polymer. We then encapsulate that polymer into pads. And then we RF weld those pads onto apparel. And we can sell any of the forms that I've mentioned above. But in particular for football, we're providing a protective apparel, both in the form of tops and bottoms. And we know we have the best product out there. And that's what led to us engaging with the WNFC as a sponsor for the championship weekend. And for those that aren't familiar with the WNFC, it's a women's semi-pro football league that is, I've been involved for the last few years. It's really an organization, first off, made up of fantastic people. I mean, just incredible, incredible leadership. But the organization is really looking at changing the way that women play football in how they are paid, meaning that traditionally women's semi-pro football has been a pay-to-play model. And so the goal is to get the league to a point where the athletes are actually compensated, breaking the norms of the traditional model, which I think is amazing. And they're also doing so many great things to make an impact in younger women in sports, young ladies, and just really move the ball in so many ways beyond just being on the field and playing the game of football. And so Joe, what I want to ask you is, and that's why I wanted to be involved, but I want to ask when you learned of the WNFC and the things they were doing, what was it that made you and Zumbang want to be a partner? Well, simply stated, Jen, knowing that we have the best product out there, why wouldn't we want to protect men and women who play the game? And so when the opportunity was presented to us and we learned, started digging in and learning more about the WNFC, we saw that such a potential for growth and energy and excitement. And as you stated, the leadership of the organization is truly an incredible group of folks. It was just a natural no-brainer that Zoombang and having a part of our organization is the Beast Mode brand, which Marshawn Lynch owns. And as we discussed the WNFC with Marshawn, he was a huge proponent as well to be a part of this. So it was so great to be able to be in the Dallas area that weekend for the game and to have Marshawn Lynch there to do the coin toss at the beginning of the game and even spend some time in the locker rooms with both teams before the championship game. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great to have Marshawn there. There were some other great NFL legends that were there as well. Patrick Willis being one of them. I mean, fantastic weekend. Just well, it wasn't just about the championship weekend. There was an all pro game. There were some other events going on. There was definitely some camps and things for, for young ladies. And so it was a phenomenal weekend. And again, the leadership 
as part of the WNFC is just top notch. And I've just been so proud to be a board member and be involved over the last few years to see it grow. And I'm excited to see them continue to move the ball and take the league into some amazing directions. So let's talk about Marshawn for just a minute. Since you mentioned him, I know during that weekend, aside from participating in the game, the coin toss, speaking with the teams before the games, he was also at some schools talking to some kids. Was there anything that you thought that Marshawn mentioned that was really inspiring or a great life lesson that he passed on to those kids? Yeah, first, let me say this. One of Marshawn's I think biggest passion in life is to pass along a lot of the knowledge and business knowledge that he's acquired over his relatively short life and pass that on to other kind of underprivileged inner city youth that play football or don't play football, but football seems to be a great avenue to gain access to these kids. And so, yes, we met on Friday with two different high schools in the Dallas area that are populated mainly with kids from the inner city. And Marshawn took the time at both schools, a minimum of an hour at each school to talk to the kids and answer questions and kind of help in some small way, steer them toward a positive road versus maybe some of the negative directions that they're being pulled into. And one of the things that he said that kind of struck me the most was he really talked about personal accountability. He said, yes, you're part of the team and the team has goals, but you have your own role within that team and you need to be accountable for, for doing your part. And Jen, this is kind of humorous. One of the kids asked him about a lot of people, when you hear Marshawn Lynch, you think about the Super Bowl that the Seahawks lost to the Patriots and why did Pete Carroll decide to throw the ball when it was third down and one, and he threw that interception. And the whole world wondered, why didn't he hand the ball off to Marshawn? And one of the kids asked that question, and Marshawn said, you know what, forget about what Pete Carroll called. Let's go to the play before. I had the ball, and I didn't score. That was on me. That wasn't on Pete Carroll. And so he, he kind of rounded up this personal accountability story about not just on the field as part of a football team, but you got to take ownership for every decision that you make in your life. It's about you. And I just thought that that was a pretty incredible message to be passing along. Not only to the kids, I was happy to hear it. <laughs> I needed to hear it too, Jen. Sure, and I, I think that's an important message because sometimes people forget the importance of taking that ownership and having that personal accountability, especially when we look at everything that's going on in the world today and over the last year and a half with COVID and just everything else, I feel like it's been so easy for people to not hold themselves accountable and not have that ownership because they can just play the victim or make an excuse or whatever and find reasons as to why they didn't get something done. And so I think ownership is important, obviously, for Marshawn and being on the football field. Ownership isn't important. It's important outside of the game as well and in life. And as we look at, you know, our own corporate careers and our journeys, that's something that's very important. I was fortunate in my career to climb the corporate ladder early in my career. And people would ask me like, well, what nuggets or what would you share to other people? And I think one of the biggest things is that ownership. It's on you. It's nobody else's job that's going to help you to progress along. It's up to you to perform in your role, the position that you're playing in your current job. But you also have to take 
that ownership over your career and and map out, okay, where do I want to go? What do I need to do to get there? Who can help me? But it's it's not going to just fall in your lap. And I feel like so many people just think it's going to be handed to them and they lack that ownership. Would you agree? Totally, completely. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and I remember, I mean, I worked in, as I mentioned, you have an engineering background. I have an engineering background. Engineering is predominantly a male industry. I mean, it's changing to some extent now, but it was decades ago too. And I remember I would hear these women commenting about how they couldn't do something because they were a woman. And they're like, well, good for you. And I was just like, well, what do you mean good for me? Like, because I took ownership. Like, I figured out what I needed to do. It wasn't insert excuse here. I was a woman in a man's field, so I couldn't advance. No, I figured out what did I need to do to be able to excel. And so I just, that ownership thing is something that I place a lot of emphasis on. And I talk a lot about because I feel like it's something that people miss. Yep. I agree. So share with us a little bit about your journey. So I mentioned engineering. You had a mechanical engineering degree, got an MBA. Talk to us a little bit about your corporate journey. Yeah. So interesting. When you say I have an engineering background, I chuckle because I really have an engineering degree. And I went into engineering, and this will certainly age me, but back in the day, a lot of big companies like DuPont and Procter & Gamble they were looking for engineering graduates to kind of put into their management programs. And the reason was, is they viewed an engineering degree as a problem-solving degree. This person has demonstrated that they can logically go through a process of problem-solving, of identifying the actual problem, blah, 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 blah. So that's really what inspired me to get the engineering degree. And I was fortunate enough to be hired by DuPont where my first journey was them was at a facility in South Carolina that they ran for the U.S. government, making all the plutonium and tritium for our nuclear weapons arsenal back in the day. This should scare you, but as a 22-year-old, I was a control room supervisor making plutonium. Anyway, it was a great proving ground I then left that facility and went into what they call the commercial side of DuPont, where I spent a total of 16 years. About halfway through that journey, I decided I wanted to go back and get an MBA. And I was fortunate that DuPont was going to pay for my MBA. I was living in South Carolina at the time, enrolled and got accepted at the University of South Carolina's Moore School of Business. And it's interesting be careful who you take advice from. And I say this, Jen, because I had a mentor who I thought was a mentor at the plant that I worked at. And he pulled me aside one day. He goes, why are you getting your MBA? Because you're not going to get some magical promotion when you get your degree. You'd be better off spending your time just working extra hours. And I remember saying, Craig, I'm not getting this degree to get promoted. I'm getting this degree for me, for me to expand my horizons, for me to learn more about things. I don't expect DuPont to promote me when I get my degree. And sure enough, Jen, that degree, and I I was able to specialize in international business, that degree led to me being recruited by Nike. And what a life-changing event that was. I spent almost 12 years with Nike, beginning in late 1997. I was brought into Nike to head up R&D for their apparel division. My background at DuPont was primarily, after making the bombs, I primarily worked in the polymer and fibers world 
things like nylon, Dacron polyester, Lycra spandex, those different fibers that go into athletic apparel. So that was kind of the connection that led me to Nike. Had a great first few years, and then I was asked if I would come in and start up a group of businesses that Nike had never been involved in before. The things that weren't shoes or clothes, things like sunglasses and watches and electronic products. And over the next nine years, I learned so much about building businesses, not just within the U.S., but outside the U.S. And so we had our own P&L within Nike because we were such a different product line than shoes and clothes. We needed our own sales teams, our own supply chain, et cetera, et cetera. So it forced me to learn how to do that in other countries, whether that was through licensing or distributorships or how to do it from the ground up within the U.S. We had our own sales force in the U.S. with our own distribution center, et cetera, et cetera. And so just really at Nike, I would say it's where my leadership learning truly went into overdrive. I had gone from a very hierarchical, almost militaristic-like culture at DuPont, where when the boss talks, you listen and you act. At Nike, it was almost the opposite. It was such a collaborative, almost Japanese-like management culture that Phil Knight had instilled within this organization. And it really taught me what I accepted from the onset and that leadership is more servitude. To be a good servant is to be a good leader. And I really tried to implement that, not just at Nike, but take that with me wherever I went. I believe my role at ZoomBank today is to hire people smarter than I am and help coordinate that team of people to do great things together and kind of get out of their way, but remove roadblocks if there are any there. Between Nike and ZoomBang, I had the good fortune to run two different smaller companies. One company was based in Seattle. We actually sold farmed mink into the fur industry, the global fur industry. This particular company owned the most premium brand of mink that existed in the world called Black Llama. And so I was able to kind of take a little bit of what I learned about branding and licensing and extending your brand into this company and help take the sales from when I joined about 120 million a year until 360 million a year when I left. I took a year off thinking I might want to retire and I learned that I just wasn't quite ready to play golf every day of the week. And so I went back into the world and as the CEO of a seafood processing company, another very different, obviously a different customer base, et cetera, et cetera, but got to really understand the world of consumables and food and all that goes into that. Recently, as of March 1st, this year became ZoomBang's CEO. And it's such a eclectic group of jobs that I held. But when I look back, one job truly did lead to another. And I often think about what motivated you to go these different places. And Nike had a list of 10, what they called maxims, 
or tenets, if you will. And one of those maxims was be a sponge. And it kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Maybe we should listen twice as much as we speak. And I just kind of felt like, and I still feel like I'm a little kid learning new things. And I want to learn every possible thing I can to help me be better, to help our organization be better, somehow deliver that as a servant leader. So kind of a crazy background, but that's it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing the journey. And I think that's important that, you know, the being a sponge and always learning. I mean, sometimes when people learn about my background and the seven degrees and all the different things that I've done, they sometimes are like, well, are you confused? <laughs> like, do you not know what you wanted to be when you grew up? And yes, I mean, I didn't think I was going to be involved in sports. So that's kind of a, a neat twist. Yeah. But everything that I've done has prepared me for everything that's come after it the experiences that you learn, like they all serve a purpose. And one of the things that actually really helped me, we talk about from a business standpoint and a product, what's the differentiated value proposition that your products bring to the table? Well, as an employee, you also, you are a brand, you are a product. What value do you bring to the table to whatever company it is you work for? And for me, climbing the corporate ladder, one of the things that helped me was I always brought a differentiated perspective because of the different roles that I had. I was able to ask questions that other people had never thought of because they didn't have that broad set of experiences. And so that is one thing that helped me. And I think that's one thing people should think about as they're looking to continue to advance their career. What do you bring to the table? How do you differentiate yourself from other people that could be contributing so that you can position yourself for those increased roles of leadership and higher responsibility? So something I wanted to ask you as I was listening to you talk about Nike and kind of venturing off into an adjacent, not really adjacent, but a, a different set of products, right? Sunglasses and other things besides apparel and shoes. Nike is without a doubt a very powerful brand. When you looked at venturing out into these other product lines that Nike had not traditionally been providing, what were some of the things that you learned and did did the fact that the Nike brand was so well-known help? Or talk to us about that process. That's a great question. And I'm going to give you one of the biggest kind of slaps alongside of the head that I received. So in our watch business, the first watch out of the gate was the Nike Triax watch. It was made for runners. And if you may remember it, we called it an S shape. It was shaped to fit around your stylus bone on your wrist. It also had a huge tilted display so that runners could see their time while they were running. And the competition that was out there at the time, which was Timex's Ironman, I think Casio had a G-Shock. There, there were other running watches out there. They were all very difficult to read because the print was so small. And you kind of had to stop running to see what your time was. Well, we wanted to focus the display as the centerpiece of this watch, et cetera, et cetera. Problem was, it cost a lot of money to do that and to retail it for anything reasonably profitable internally, it had to carry a retail price of $79.99. The highest price and most popular watch for runners at the time was the Timex Ironman. And that retail price was $49.99. And we would go to retailers. And obviously, we we're going to wholesale to them for roughly half of that retail price. 
they told us we were nuts. They said runners are cheap. They're not going to buy it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But since you're Nike, we'll give you guys a crack at some shelf space. And Jen, first year, U.S. alone, we did $30 million in sales at wholesale. It was just a huge home run compared to what we were expecting to do. And so we got a little bit cocky and we started looking at what other watch manufacturers make. So certainly there's a world out there beyond running watches. And we got introduced to this technology. We'd be able to put in the high tides and low tides at various locations into like a surf watch. And we said to ourselves, well, shoot, let's do a cool surf watch and we'll put this technology in there. And we did, and we were starting to expand globally at the time. And some retailers bought into our running watch that we had for sure. And then our surf watch that we came out with. And lo and behold, that surf watch didn't sell at all hardly. And the reason is, is Nike was not and is not to this day a surfer's brand. And surfers, snowboarders, skateboarders, they don't like posers. And Nike was posing in a space where it didn't belong. And so it forced us to kind of get back to our roots and, and ask ourselves, all right, why are we in this business? What is the reason that there's another watch on the wall at any store? And really identify our purpose, our mission, our vision, and our positioning. And I think those are all important things. Whether you're a Nike or you're a small business, like those are branding fundamentals, yep. right? Understand who your target market is, who you're looking to serve. And there's a time and place to expand into adjacencies. And sometimes they make sense and sometimes they don't. So let me ask you, when you think about all of the lessons that you've learned in your branding experience, what would you pass on to people that are listening that may be either in a company that's looking to grow a brand or they might be a business owner, an entrepreneur themselves that has their own brand and they're looking to continue to be successful with whatever products that they're putting out in the marketplace? The first question that I would ask is if your product were to go away tomorrow, would anyone care? And if the answer to that is no, no one would care, I think you should seriously reevaluate what you're trying to do. If the answer is yes, people would care, here's who would care and here's why they care, I think you're onto something to truly identify the reason your company, your brand exists. And I have trouble differentiating between a company's brand and my personal brand or your personal brand, Jen. I think that many people don't realize that they're a brand, whether they like to think of it or not, they're a brand. And the way I dress, the way I speak, the way I might eat my dinner with friends, the you name it. It is representative of my brand. And as you think about any brand that you may be loyal to, you're loyal because I believe you've bought into their promise and they're delivering on their promise day in and day out. And it's probably taken years for you to develop the trust in that mark. But I guarantee it's going to take seconds to break. And when people understand that, I think they start caring more about what their personal brand or what their company's brand is speaking to out in the marketplace. 
Yeah, and I think that's an important point that you bring up. And that's something that I do a lot of talking. I just did a talk at USC, University of Southern California, about a week ago to an MBA group about the importance of managing your personal brand and how you have to be mindful. Everybody's watching whether you think they are or not. It's not just about the digital right. space. I think people kind of get sometimes, hey, you need to pay attention to what you're posting on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. That's important, but there's so much more to your brand besides just the digital piece. Right. <laughs> and so I think it's something that people need to be more mindful whether or not you're looking for a job or not, right? People are forming impressions and opportunities come your way because of the brand identity that you're putting out there. And you want to make sure that it's consistent with how you want people to see you. Yeah. I mean, I've heard so many people say, well, I'm not a salesperson. And I kind of chuckle. I'm like, you're selling yourself every second of the day. You're a salesperson, whether you want to be or not. Right. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And Yeah. And so I I share that with my coaching clients all the time, whether they're athletes or executives. I mean, you have to be mindful. You're selling yourself. You are the brand. You have to market it well. Be mindful of how you're showing up to every single day physically, as well as in the virtual space and the digital space. So Joe, let me ask you, as you've looked at your career, aside from the importance of managing your personal brand, what other pieces of advice would you share with people that are listening and that are looking to continue to advance and one day be in the C-suite? This is a little funny story, but my very first job with DuPont, a bunch of us hired in at the same time. All of us kind of bachelor degree engineers. This site was under a massive hiring directive. To give you an example, over the course of the five years that I hired in, I hired in in 82, but beginning in 81 and ending in 85, that one plant hired over 2,000 bachelor or master degree engineers. So it was a hiring frenzy just at this plant. And a lot of us that started in June, like the typical first promotion for us was a year and a half later. And so we watched, a lot of us were on the same kind of median track early on, but we watched a friend of ours get promoted like two months ahead of us. It was a big talk about the plant, right? Don got promoted. How about that? Well, a year later, Don gets promoted again. And we were out drinking one night. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're doing something different. He goes, you know, Joe, I try to put myself in my boss's shoes and do his job. And I don't mean actively do his job, but I really want to think what's important to him so that I know to do that, to take that pressure off of him by what he's expecting out of me and other things. And I just try to have a bigger perspective than just doing my job well. Yeah, I need to do my job well, but I need to know what's important to my boss at the time also. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's, that's some pretty solid advice. And Jen, I kind of carried that with me my entire career. Yeah, you have to excel at what you're doing. But understand what your boss is trying to accomplish as well and how you're not the only person in his or her portfolio that he's kind of worrying about. And if you can figure out how to help take some of that other burden off of your boss, I found it to be very helpful. Sure, I think that's important. As I was listening to you say that, something that I was thinking about too, it wasn't just about the perspective of my boss, but it was also 
a lot of companies, a lot of big companies tend to operate in silos and they're not considering the bigger picture as to you know what's going on strategically or otherwise. And so when some of the engineering programs that I was a part of, you've got your team that I'm managing and what we're responsible for, but it's how does that fit in to everything else that's at play and understanding those relationships and the potential impacts and considerations and being one thing that always worked well for me was I was always an inclusive person. So I always took into account other stakeholders and what they were doing, but it's understanding that bigger picture to your point, not just your boss, but also just with other organizations, other teams that you might be working with. So Joe, what I want to do now to close the show is I want to take you through my two-minute drill and just ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. You give it a shot. All right, Joe. The first question is, when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? Shortstop for the Philadelphia Phillies. Oh, very specific. Very, very specific. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. How about the next one is who would play you in a movie about your life? Oh, I'm going to sound so cliche here, but I'm going to go with Al Pacino. That's a good choice. (laughs) Next question is what is your favorite vacation spot? Typically anywhere with sun, sand and surf and warmth. And I'm fortunate that one of my kids lives in Hawaii. And I would have to say Hawaii is on the top of that list. Provides all of that for me. Hawaii is a very nice place. Yep. How about what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Haagen-Dazs Swiss Vanilla Almond. Oh, that is a good choice. One that I <laughs> used to love was the Haagen-Dazs Bailey's ice cream, which they do not seem to sell here. I don't think I've had that. I don't think they sell it in the U.S. anymore. I was in, this was years ago, I was actually in Africa, in Liberia, for some military duty, and they had it in a store. And I paid like $14 for this little wow. thing, but I wanted it so bad. I was like, oh my God, this was, this was a while ago. But, but yeah, it was a really good flavor, but I don't think it's here anymore, unfortunately. Uh, my next question is, what podcast are you currently listening to? Or what book are you currently reading? I am rereading a book that was extremely impactful in my life back at DuPont. And that book is called The Goal by Elliot Goldray. It addresses a bottleneck in a manufacturing process, but it can be a bottleneck in any process. And I'm kind of rereading that to help figure out how that will apply to ZoomBank. I've asked my leadership team to read it as well. So we're going through that right now. Oh, nice. How about what is a pet peeve of yours? <laughs> All right, this is going to sound really lame, but I absolutely hate walking through an airport and getting on a moving sidewalk and seeing what appears to be a healthy person standing on the moving sidewalk. I know that sounds silly, but I'm like, dude, just walk. You, if this wasn't here, you'd be walking. You get to walk faster because it's a moving sidewalk. Sure. <laughs> now, it's really a pet peeve if they're standing on the left. Yes, but <laughs> yes, because they're in the way of those that are trying to move fast. Right. <laughs> Got it. And my last question is: You're hosting a dinner party, and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose, and why? Hmm. So maybe I can give you two answers. Because my first answer: They're not famous people. I lost my mom when I was 17 years old. I lost my dad when I was 27 years old. And I lost my first wife when I was 48 years old. And my dad had maybe a year to meet my wife. My mom never did. I would love to have dinner with the three of them just so that they could get to know each other. 
if you forced me into the famous person role, it would be Jesus, Ronald Reagan, and Justice Ginsburg. And I mean, that's a kind of an eclectic group of people, but I think that I would love to hear all the perspectives on how do we solve today's problems from a being a, a capitalist society, but having compassion and doing what's right for everybody, because that's far beyond my pay grade or knowledge level. But I'd love to hear from the three of them on that. I think those are three wonderful answers. I'm glad that you added Justice Ginsburg in there as well, because most people don't add a woman. There's very few people that have mentioned a woman really? in their three. So I'm really glad that you you added a female to the dinner party. Well, I added a very compassionate, broad-minded female too, who I have tremendous respect for. So, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So Joe, as we close our show, let people know, how can they learn more about Zumbang and then just follow you on your journey? Well, it's www.zumbang.com is our website. It will be going under a renovation in the not too immediate, but not too far out future. But you can see what we do there. We do products that go well beyond football, well beyond sports, things for the military, things for police the construction industry, even the medical industry. So we're a lot broader than just protective clothing for football players. And you can look me up on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and follow me if if your heart desires that as well. And don't be hurt when I follow you back. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be sure to have all those links in the show notes so people can follow you, can learn more about ZoomBang and see what all you're up to there as well. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the show today. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me. Take care. And as part of the WNFC board, again, we thank you for your partnership with the WNFC. And thank you to everyone who listened to today's episode. Again, subscribe to the podcast. If you found this helpful, please let someone else know as well. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.